what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks is this idea of living life upside down. We're going to be in the, the Sermon on the Mount for some time, and I love, I've always just had an affinity for the teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so I'm excited for us to begin that this morning. I hope that you'll plan on being a part of as much of that as possible. Um, today is not so much of exhortation from Scripture as as a pronouncement of blessing on us, which is a great thing. But in the days ahead, there are going to be some things that we probably need to hear. As uh, people who live in this world, we need to hear these things because Jesus is calling us to something different than what we've always thought life was about. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Poseidon Adventure. Do you remember that movie? Happened quite a few years ago. But it was, it was a kind of an ocean liner crash, kind of like the Titanic, except for some reason, and it was on New Year's as well, they were celebrating New Year's, getting ready to click over to midnight, and this freak wave happened in the ocean and completely capsized this ocean liner. We're not talking just one end was listing. It was completely upside down. And the whole of the movie was them going through this, trying to figure out, what weighs up? How do I get out? Do I go to the deck? Because the deck is now underwater, and up is now down, and the whole movie was about trying to figure out who do we trust, who do we listen to, who do we follow to get out of this capsized vehicle. This morning, this is where we find ourselves as we begin looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus begins teaching, and he just starts throwing things. It just like seems so upside down so opposite of what we've come to know as true, and Jesus sits down, and when he sits down to teach, he starts sharing things, and it signals that, hey, a freak wave's coming. <laughs> you know, just like the freak wave that capsized the Poseidon, a freak wave is coming, and, and, and it was like Jesus was saying, listen, I'm going to turn everything upside down. Prepare yourselves for this. Things are going to be different. It's not going to be like you've lived and believed all of your life. With his coming into the world, everything has changed. Everything has changed. What once was held as right and true is now not true anymore. All the values that were held as important have been turned on their head. You see, the, the Beatitudes reflect the upside-down nature. And this morning, we're going to just spend our time with just the Beatitudes. And really, there's there's more about understanding what they're about than what each one is for us. We're going to look at each one of them, but I want us to see that uh, the Beatitudes are something very specifically said to us as a way of, of blessing. We see the word, and some of your Bibles say, blessed are. Some translations have translated happy are. Um, Billy Graham called the Beatitudes the beautiful attitude, and I, I, I like that. Uh, it captures some of what this is about. They are beautiful attitudes. If you can if you can be meek, if you can be a peacemaker, if you can be these things, they are beautiful attitudes to have. Tom Wright um, translated this passage, wonderful news for the foreign spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wonderful news for the mourners. Wonderful news for the meek. 
you're going to hear wonderful news. There's quite a noticeable difference, isn't there, between saying blessed are the poor than wonderful news for those of you who are poor in spirit. There's a little bit of a different twist to that, and I think probably more closely uh, captures what the Greek was about. The Greek word there is makarios, and in the Greek, that word doesn't have a direct translation in English. And so, blessed is one that was originally coined, but it's probably more accurate to be called wonderful news. And so, uh, uh, we see that that what we've got here is wonderful news for people. Now, this is not wonderful news if you do all these things, because we, we kind of grow up, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the mindset of if you do this, then you will get this. Well, that's not the that's not the tone of the beatitudes. The beatitudes are wonderful if you are this, not wonderful news if you do this and then you'll get this. Wonderful news because you are this, you have this already. And so we're going to take a look at this. William Barclay um, talked about this, and he says these beatitudes aren't a list of highest hopes of what will be. They're not glowing, but vague prophecies of some future bliss. They are more congratulations on what is. <clears throat> and we need to understand that. Congratulations on what is. In some ways, it's easier to understand the Beatitudes by saying what they are not. The Beatitudes are not a list of people whom God blesses. The Beatitudes are not a list of pious aims. They are not vague promises for the future. They are not outlining a moral code that we have to follow. They are not good advice, but rather they are good news. Wonderful news, even. They are the gospel, and that's why they're such wonderful news. They're wonderful because something momentous has happened. In, in Jesus sitting down on the mountainside to begin teaching this, he begins to turn everything upside down. He begins to turn it upside down. He has come and intervened in history. He has said, this is, this is the line. There's what was, and there's now what is. And Jesus is the beginning in his teaching of what is compared to what was. We need to take note that the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon, that the Beatitudes are at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, not at the end. And I want you to recognize that if they were at the end, then we might conclude, well, if I do all these things, then I get this. I think Jesus wants us to know this is not a list of what you have to accomplish so that you can get this. This is a list of what I've given These are the blessings that I've given you because of who you are. And finally, in, in God's favor is granted to those whom society regards as the ones who would be, be uh, left behind. The corn spirit. The utterly destitute, the, the meek, the mourners, the mercer, merciful, those who are hungering and thirsting after, those seem to be the ones left behind, and Jesus is telling us, that, that's who I'm talking about. That's who I'm talking about. Those that are uh, left behind. And so he begins with his teaching saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, keep in mind, this is not a if you are poor in spirit, then God will bless. He's saying now, those of you who are poor in spirit, blessed are you. You, it's wonderful news for you. And 
And what he needs to, what, he, what he's trying to get us to understand is that what being poor in spirit is not mean you don't have money. One of the writers translates poor. Uh, I believe it was uh, Mark says poor. But poor in spirit is really at the heart of what he's saying here. And poor in spirit means that you recognize you can't do it of yourself. If you could do it of yourself, then you would be strong in spirit. You would have great strength in that. But you can't. And so his acknowledgement that we, if we are trusting God for our salvation, we are poor in spirit because we know that we are within ourselves. We don't have the capacity to reach God. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. That foreign spirit is an attitude that someone who is God has. If you think you've got it all together and you just you're telling God about how good you are and how what He should do for you because of that, probably foreign spirit is not one of the characteristics that you're identifying. Foreign spirit is saying, "I can't do this for myself," and it was totally opposite of what the Pharisees were, right? The Pharisees would stand on the corner and pray so everybody could hear, look how awesome I am, look how great I am. Um, and and they were all about obeying. Look at what I've obeyed. I've done all these things. God, you should be proud of me. And God's saying, no. The ones I'm proud of are the ones who simply recognize. I need God. I'm in desperate need. I cannot save myself. Isaiah 66, 2 says, This is the man to whom I will look, the Lord says. He that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see, it's wonderful news to be poor in spirit. You think, well, poor in spirit, that, that doesn't just sound negative. But the truth is, for the followers of God, poor in spirit is one of the highest remarks that can be made. When you recognize you don't have to be who God You don't have the ability to save yourself. You can try all you want. You can follow all the rules to the nth degree. <clears throat> you will not gain salvation by following the rules. That's one of the, the things about my growing up was that was so ingrained in me. You just have to do all the right things. Well, and <clears throat> I remember questions. I'm struggling. Well, are you reading your Bible every day? Well, if you were reading your Bible every day, then that wouldn't happen. Or are, are you praying on a regular basis? If you were praying on a regular basis, well, do you go to church? Are you in church every Sunday or just once a month? And and there was all of this mentality about performing the gift. And God's saying, from the very beginning, when Jesus began teaching the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous teachings ever, he says, listen, So wonderful news because if you are foreign spirit, he says the kingdom of heaven is yours. It reminds me of when he's talking about um, foreign spirit. A lot of times, uh, young kids um, they they don't necessarily. Uh, it's, it's getting different. It's getting younger. But it used to be young kids they didn't have any any uh, you know crazy ideas that they were. They just simply did what they did. And 
but because of your humility, sometimes you speak nice. And, and I think the way that this probably plays out best for us is I have the ability and right to insist on my own rights. But if I'm living a meek life, that means I say, I don't insist on my rights if they impose on me. I will choose not to take the power that I have. I will choose instead to put you above me. And Jesus says, if you're willing to set aside yourself for the sake of others, if you're willing to, to reserve your rights to act and do because of your attitude of humility. Meekness, the wonderful news for the meek is they'll inherit the earth. You shall inherit the earth. It's a wonderful thing for someone who has the ability and the power. I don't know if any of you have known people like this. Um, um, I, I look at some people who have been in my life. Um, Mark Scott, who was here. Um, perhaps the smartest and most talented preacher that I've ever set up. Yet he's so unassuming. It was so awesome to have he, he ate lunch with us today he was up here. And he was so he was so meek in the way that he talked to me. He wanted to know what I was doing, what I, what I was accomplishing in ministry, what were the struggles. And never once did it like he was wanting to tell me how to do it. He simply uh, presented himself in a way that said, listen, I'm way smarter than you, but, uh, you know, I, I know that to be true, but he never once exerted that kind of You've known people like that. Unassuming of themselves, but you know inside. It's kind of like the guys, like, when the person that is quiet, but when they finally speak, you're like, everybody's like, I want, I mean, it, it's that guy that when he speaks, you know he's going to say something worth listening to. And, and that's the kind of character that God says, hey, I'm, you're going to inherit the earth. And now, I don't know the full extent of what that plays out in. I, I do believe in, in, uh, in God's plan from my understanding that one day there's going to be a new heaven and new earth and it's going to be ours again. Uh, just like Adam and Eve were given the Garden of Eden, I think one day there's going to be us inheriting the earth once again. Uh, uh, but, but it is wonderful news for those that are meek. And then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's that intense longing for righteousness. That's what it means to hunger and thirst after That every waking minute is you want it. You want more of it. You desire it. You're going to do whatever it takes. You see, all of us do what's right occasionally, right? So I, I've made a lot of mistakes that were right. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, that was the right thing. It's, it's a different picture altogether when I do the right thing because that's what I meant to do. Uh, it, it's, it's a different story altogether. And this is the, the person who actually intends on seeking God for everything that they've got. Jesus is talking about a passionate concern for righteousness. A passionate concern for righteousness. In the Antarctic summer of 1908-9, I found this interesting story. You may have heard of this man, Sir Ernest Shackleton. 
he and three companions traveled from their station uh, in the Antarctica toward the South Pole. Their goal was to reach the South Pole. There was a race back in those days of who would get there first, and several had tried. He started out with um, his companions, and they had four ponies to help carry the load. Weeks later, um, their ponies dead, their rations all but exhausted, they turned back to the base, their goal not accomplished. Altogether, they trekked 127 days. On the return journey, as Shackleton records in the heart of Antarctic, the time was spent, of all things, talking about food. It says they talked about elaborate feasts, gourmet delights, sumptuous menus, and as they staggered along, suffering from dysentery, not knowing whether they would survive, every waking hour was occupied with thoughts of eating. Jesus, who also knew the ravages of food deprivation, said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Sometimes that hungering and thirsting after righteousness is what will sustain us and keep us to the very end. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And the wonderful news is, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, say it with me. tell you, Dow, you mentioned something in Sunday school about about the feast that's coming, and, and you said, well, maybe we're feasting now, and I'm like, no, nah, I, I need to hang on to that thought that we're going to have a feast in heaven. <laughs> that's going to be beyond my imagination. That's one of the things that I long for, but honestly, that hungering and thirsting after righteousness, thinking about that, that sustains us. It will keep us if we know I've got something to look forward to, and my hungering and thirsting after righteousness my willingness to study the scriptures to find out how I need to change my life, my willingness to submit to God and His authority in, in our lives, that's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And that will sustain us to the very end, no matter what happens. No matter what 2021 uh, turns out like, it's going to sustain us no matter what. And wonderful news is, God will fill us. He goes on and says, Blessed are the merciful. Now I want you to notice that the first the attitude exemplify dependence on God. Those who are in spirit, those who are mourned, those who are meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those depend on God. The next three kind of are the outworking of that dependence. It's us then moving forward, and he says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. You know, it's much easier to pursue justice than mercy in our life. Because we, we have this nature, oh, you did me wrong. Guess what? I'm going to get you back. Didn't that seem natural for us? Unfortunately, that's our sinful flesh. The natural thing is, oh, she said that about me. Wait till you hear what I should say about her. It is so natural for us. That's why this... This is upside-down kind of living because he says, blessed are the merciful. Choose to show mercy instead of justice. They're opposite things. And he says, if mercy is how you live, you'll receive mercy. 
Peacekeeper says there's chaos and, like, and you all you do is just whoa, 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 hey, hey, don't fight in front of us. You, you maybe say, let's, let's, can't we all just get along? Let's get along. That's a peacekeeper. A peacemaker is one who intentionally acts to bring peace. Someone who their purpose is, hey, listen, I know that we've struggled with one another. I, I just want you to know I'm See, a peacemaker is willing to apologize. A peacemaker is willing to humble, willing to be meek. A peacemaker is willing to be merciful. A peacemaker is someone who actually acts out a way to create peace, not simply try to gain some peace as a third party. He actually is involved in the making of wonderful news is they will become sons of God. Where did peace come from? God sent peace to the world. 
take a hit so that you and I can have peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he says, he concludes with, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecution is something that all the early Christians faced. <clears throat> I just heard a, a sermon just not very long ago telling about some of the different ways that the, the apostles died. All of them died because they were suffering persecution for their beliefs. <clears throat> and Peter, uh, it, the, the history says that he was to be crucified. He says, you're not going to crucify me like my Lord. I want you to crucify me upside down. And he was actually crucified upside down. He was persecuted in the early church. If you look at the book of Acts, the way the gospel spread in the book of Acts was through persecution. It says that the church was persecuted and they spread. It was called the diaspora. Everything spread because they, they couldn't stay together because in Jerusalem they were being persecuted. And so they spread all over the known world. And the gospel went with them. Every one of us will face persecution. Jesus insists and says, if you are mine, you will suffer persecution. I think we as Americans <coughs> have it pretty soft. Chances are good the worst persecution you face is somebody laughing at you because you didn't it. Or uh, making fun of you because you mentioned Jesus in a conversation. That's pretty much the extent of what we see. Sometimes it goes beyond that. We see, we've seen in the last, uh, in the last year some persecution for churches for uh, for uh, what they stand for that's been beyond that. We've seen men march into a church and open fire. We've seen that happen. That doesn't happen to the most churches. We need to understand that if, if we don't suffer some persecution, I'm not saying that we need to go out and find some persecution, but persecution will find you eventually in some form. And we need to recognize that that's wonderful news. The early uh, church fathers, they faced it. <coughs> See, salvation is all of grace, but there's a kind of conduct that is expected of those who have received God's good gift, and it is a kind of conduct on which Jesus pronounces a blessing. Those who undergo persecution for God's cause, and not for any fault of their own, receive a blessing like that for the Holy Spirit. Interesting that the exact same response to those who are persecuted is the one given to those who are foreign spirits. The one that the news is These attitudes, these glorious attitudes, these wonderful news things are part and parcel of what God sees in us and says. It's wonderful news for you if you have come to the point where It's wonderful news if you have come to the point where you are able to mourn over your sin, your uh, spiritual bankruptcy. It's a wonderful thing that you want to meet. Wonderful that you hunger and thirst after that. It's wonderful that you are blessed. <coughs> wonderful news for the follower of Christ. And these things are so powerful.
Jesus is trying to help us figure out how to navigate in this upside-down life called the Christian life. We can't walk along as the world does and understand what it is God's calling us to. We've got to understand that God calls us to be different. God calls us to be separate. He calls us out from the world. <clears throat> and so this morning, what I want to challenge you with is to compare your life and examine your life in relation to these beatitudes. Where do you stand with